When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, let's uh, start with Mimi this morning and see how things are in her part of the world. Good morning, Mimi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, excuse me. I just had my first sip of coffee. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> I just happened to get up in time to make it here. Um, I have my tall grasses like uh, Purple Fountain. Uh-huh. And then that, what is that one tall muley? Uh, it, it's a muley grass. And but it's it's tall like the purple fountain, and I also have lemongrass. Do all three of those need to be cut back to the ground or not? That is totally up to you. Um, the the muley that you're probably looking at is uh, is what they call golf muley. It has uh, the beautiful pink seed heads later in the summer, and uh, there are a lot of different muley grasses. And uh, but the the uh, the golf muley is probably the most widely. But it's it's about. Uh... Yeah, it's about 24 inches high. Um, Little bitty short muley we have here, too. Uh, there, again, there, there are a bunch of different ones. But really, the, the care on all of them uh, is the same. The thing about these ornamental grasses, and, and you're talking three different grasses. I want to come back and talk about each one of them individually in just a second. But okay. they all typically suffer some winter damage. They all freeze back at least partially. And... You can either just let the new growth come out and gradually dominate the older foliage that may have been winter damaged, or you can go ahead and just cut them all back, not all the way to the ground. You can cut them back to maybe three or four inches and allow that new growth to come out. They will look shorn for a little while, but in the long run, they will look prettier if you do take off that old uh, the older leaves. But you need to do it real soon if you're going to because... Um, you want to get all of the all of your pruning on the grasses done before the new grass blades start to come out. Otherwise, they'll come out and look like they've sort of been chopped off on top. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. the muley grasses are typically totally cold hardy, and um, you know you have no concern ever on them. Your purple fountain grass is semi-cold hardy and virtually every winter where you are down toward lake corpus christi virtually every winter they are going to survive the winter now if you went as far north as dallas up in howard garrett's country uh you'd be looking at a grass that totally freezes and many times dies has to be treated as an annual ornamental grass and replaced every year here in san antonio they survive and come back about 95% 95% of the time down in your area, they come back about 99% of the time. So it's up to you. If the foliage is still pretty, if you haven't had frost on them that made the leaves kind of ugly, you don't really have to do a thing. Uh, if those older leaves are looking a little bit weathered, go right ahead and cut them down to three or four inches high, but do it real soon before the new growth starts. Now, lemongrass is a grass that even here in San Antonio, many winters will freeze and die completely, have to be replaced. I tell people gardening in this area that uh, what you need to do is to take a few little 
divisions off of it. It it kind of grows almost like Johnson grass. It has a short uh, internodal distance, uh, puts out little runners, and then just sprouts and sprouts and sprouts. And you can always just cut a little section of that off, put it in a pot that you can protect from freezing. Now, this has been a relatively mild winter. Most of the lemongrass that I see around San Antonio, at least, has had a little bit of freeze damage, but it has not been killed. Assuming we don't have a really hard freeze in the next three weeks or so, not going to really have to do a whole lot about your lemongrass, but it is another one that will look a lot nicer if it is cut back, and this is certainly the time to do it. Where you are, lemongrass is going to be perennial most every year, and most people, rather than really growing it as just an ornamental grass, uh, lemongrass is most frequently grown you know, for culinary uses. It is used in a lot of different Asian cooking and uh, imparts a wonderful flavor. I have to say Thai dishes probably are the places you use lemongrass most commonly. So always worth having, but it's it's the least cold-hardy of the three, the most likely to show cold damage even if it's not totally killed. And so that one, yeah, you probably want to cut it back. The uh, purple fountain grass, uh, which is a penicetum, uh, is um, it just depends on whether the foliage that's on there still looks nice or if it's kind of ugly. If it's kind of ugly, whack it back because it grows like a weed and it'll be putting out you know more foliage in the near future. The muley grasses, I tend to just leave them alone. I think that uh, you know that brown wintertime look is just not to me. That's just a normal part of nature. I don't mind leaving it brown and then let it make the green growth come out, which it will be doing very shortly. But if you want to cut it back, you're not going to hurt anything. Just uh, just be careful because most all these grasses do have um sharp edges shall we say on the leaves and they'll sure cut you up if you're not real careful this is a place where garden gloves are certainly in order okay um two other uh, items i have uh uh Detrofa and mahemelia they just barely got touched by the frost had frost maybe kind of heavy frost twice uh-huh. but my Vitrofa has already put out new leaves, and it's got blooms. Yeah. Can I still cut that back to control the size? Well, you can if you want to. Jatropa in nature, of course, is a small tree, at least the... Uh, Jatropa is a huge genus of plants. There's some of them that are actually low-growing succulent plants, but the one that is most often grown, probably the one you have, is Jatropa hostata, which you know is like a small tree with its beautiful red flowers. And in nature, it would never even drop its leaves. It would be evergreen all the time, and it would be a oh, 15 to 20 to maybe 25-foot tree. Um, throughout most of Texas, it freezes back at least partially. Uh, there is no reason to cut it back unless you need to keep it at a smaller size. Cutting it back, you will sacrifice some of the flowers until it starts putting on some new growth. So if it's just out of hand and you want to cut it back, do so. Do so as quickly as you can. But you're not going to make the plant any healthier. You're not going to make it bloom any better. And you're actually going to sacrifice some blooms uh, to cut it back at all. So that one's just kind of up to you because uh again if they don't freeze back they'll get a little bit bigger now if you ever buy another one there is a semi-dwarf form that rarely gets more than oh five maybe six feet tall but uh like say the other the larger one will grow 15 20 feet um and it, you know it, if you want to 
keep the size really down, then go ahead and cut it back, but don't put it off. Okay. Well, I have the little pink one, too, and it doesn't grow as tall. Does oh, no. It, it doesn't grow like as tall, but it, it'll still get, make a good bushy plant. Uh, what about the Hamelia? Can I just kind of trim it back to size, too? That is one, the Hamelia, which most people call firebush, that is right. one that typically freezes down, and it is the slowest plant in the world to come back out. I tell people that they're going to come back about two weeks after you totally give up on them and decide it's dead. You might as well plant more. Then they decide to sprout and come back. In a year like this, when it hasn't frozen, um, I guess really the only reason to cut it back is to limit its size. It's going to produce, it's going to have a much longer flowering season this year because it doesn't have to start over all the way from ground level. So if you want to cut it back, I wouldn't cut it back real severely. I'd leave it eight or 10 inches tall uh, just to get the maximum growth and maximum flowering. But uh, again, that's strictly up to you. So many of these plants, including the Himalaya or the firebush, in nature, they are perennial evergreen plants. They don't ever freeze back. We've just found that they will grow in our area, and even though they usually freeze back, they come right back out. But it gives us such a wonderful crop. Typically, most years are going to be mid to late summer flowers and then pretty foliage, blackberries in the fall months. Uh, a year like this, if you don't cut it back too severely, you'll have about an extra three to four months of flowering out of it. So I, I wouldn't get too heavy with the pruning shears on it. Oh, I'm not on that one. Okay, then. I think that's all for today. But like on my fountain grass, I think it didn't suffer from freeze, but from the high winds we oh, had, yeah. you know, it just got whipped so bad. So they look the plumes are all gone. You oh, know. yeah, and they should be. Those are the seed heads. They should be gone. Right. And the thing about all of your ornamental grasses, you know, <laughs> people people might shudder when I say this, but they're almost better to cut back with your with your kitchen shears. Pruning shears don't work real well for pruning grasses. Um, if anything, you might even look for the old, you know, the, the things that I, at least I, as a kid, I got assigned the grass of, uh, or the job of cutting the high grass around the foundation of the house. This was back in the day before line trimmers. And you had those old hand shears that you just, you work the handle up and down and the blades move from side to side. Oh yes. And <laughs> I, you, you remember as well. And that's probably the most useful tool that or, you know, an actual pair of heavy-duty shop scissors or even heavy-duty uh, kitchen shears. In fact, uh, I guess if I was going to make a suggestion, somebody with a lot of uh, ornamental grasses, go to the grocery store, go to the little cooking accessories aisle, and simply buy yourself an extra pair of kitchen shears that you can use on those ornamental grasses because those are sure going to be the easiest thing to cut back the yeah. grasses with. Okay, I got those too, so I, I'm in good shape then. So as I'll every gardener should be, <laughs> you <laughs> get out you and enjoy much. this this first weekend of spring. Uh, you, uh, you too. Thanks Bye. so much, Mimi. <laughs> Bye. All right, uh, let's see. I've got totally an open board up here. Let me mention one thing when it comes to pruning. If you want to learn how to prune just about everything out there, you want to actually see how it's done, you want to learn some of the science behind it, well, this is the first of our uh, of our 
uh, lecture series, so to speak. We do classes every Saturday morning over at Shades of Green. They're free of charge. Uh, coffee's on by 9. We start them about 9.45. And this morning is everything you ever wanted to know about pruning. And, um, uh, again, we're going to talk about trees. We're going to talk about shrubs. We're going to talk about uh, perennials. We're going to talk about annuals that didn't freeze. Anyway, it's all free of charge, and it starts about uh, 945. Uh, I will also tell you that uh, the folks across the street at the uh, LASIK Center over there, they um, they allow us to use their parking on the weekends. Our friends next door with uh, Kara's Canine Retreat, the wonderful doggy daycare over there, um, as long as we park behind their buildings, they welcome us to park there. Probably have a pretty good crowd today, so uh, uh, if parking gets a little tight, we do have lots of extra places uh, for you to park. Once again, be a great time to give me a call, 210-599-5555. I think I'm going to go ahead and get another commercial out of the way here. And i take a moment and talk to you about our friends at Kinetico. You know, once again, soft water, you just almost have to have it if you live in San Antonio, if you live in the hill country. And it's just there's so many different choices out there. I hear my friends at KTSA talking about lots of different water softeners. But I love telling you about the company that I have enjoyed their water softener for many years now, and that's Kinetico. Many years ago, Brad Messer told me about Kinetico and said, you've really got to check this out. This is the simplest, most efficient water softener in the world. And I certainly agree with Brad. It uh, It's the water softener that takes care of itself, so to speak. Doesn't have a computer inside of it. It uh, doesn't plug in. You don't have to worry about power surges or lightning strikes. You don't have to unplug it when you go out of town so that it doesn't waste salt and water because it doesn't have a plug. And it also has a unique system. It's powered by the kinetic energy of water, and it only recharges when the rosin needs to be recharged. All these other softeners you hear about, they have a preset schedule when they automatically recharge, whether they need to or not. That wastes a lot of salt. That wastes a lot of water. doesn't happen with the Kinetico. It only recharges when it needs to recharge. And because it's a twin tank system, you will never, ever run out of that wonderful soft water. Kinetico has been my choice for years. Maybe it's not right for everybody, but I'd sure suggest you check it out if you're thinking about a new water softener. Give them a call, 210-656-PURE. If you'd like to just read all about it first, just simply go to Kinetico, K-I-N-E-T-I-C-O, KineticoSA.com. All right, now we've got uh, Laurie and Fred. So, Laurie, call first. Good morning, Laurie. Good morning, Bob. I'm retired Navy. I've called in a couple of times yes, before. Yes, ma'am. So whenever you say 5 o'clock, I'm, like, always up. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, how many bells is that? I know in the Air Force it would be 0500, but uh, you Navy folks have a different way of telling time. Well, I'm sure glad three, to hear from you. Three, three bells. Three bells. Uh, Very good. Yes, sir. I didn't. I just wanted to say that you know I listen a lot, and um, I didn't want you to repeat anything. But you've got me uh, addicted to uh, Medina Green and Grow. Uh huh. As instead of putting the pre-emergent down, I heard if I understand you correctly, you said build up the good grass, and you won't need it. And, and that's been very true, and a, with very cost-effective for thirty-nine dollars. 
And um, oh, you're I paying too much do. for it. You ought to be paying about twenty six dollars for it or twenty five dollars. So shop around. It's uh, the growing green is uh, it's an outstanding fertilizer, and somebody's charging a little bit more than they really need to. Yeah, the, the box store. Yeah, box store. <laughs> well, <isn't> that amazing. <laughs> they masquerade as discount houses say. and charge you fifty percent more. Um, so your question is really how often to do it, and if this is a good time. No, sir. Um, I've been doing it four times a year because okay. I listen and I take good notes. But I just wanted to say thank you because oh. it really helped a lot. And the other thing is I did cut back the weed blocker that was underneath uh, my flower beds. Uh-huh. And and people think it's a big job, but what I did is I cut it up into two two or three 15-minute intervals. Uh-huh. And I just went out there, hacked it up with the razor knife, and then went back and picked it up. So if you do have weed blocker like I did when I moved in, mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead and take it out, you know, as you you can, and it's not as big of a job. You can break it up into smaller jobs. <laughs> well, I'm sure so you're I'm, you're a very fit person, uh, you know, with a military <laughs> background. So other people might say that's easier for her to say. But what I always tell people is, you don't, and like you're saying, you don't have to do it all at once. Even the biggest job out there. If you break it down, I rebuilt about, how long is that? Maybe 400 feet of a four and a half foot high rock wall, rock wall that had been built back in the late 1800s and been knocked around by cattle and sheep and such over the years. And let me tell you, that's a tremendous amount of work. I started out doing about 10 feet a day, and that wasn't too much work. And, you know, first thing I looked around and it was all done. And uh, so just, you know, even though it may seem like a daunting task, there's nothing that says you have to get out there and break your back doing it. So I appreciate you bringing that up. I'm so glad the Medina's worked well for you. I consider it an outstanding fertilizer. And, uh, um, and as, well, actually, I'm going to do the whole seminar next week on weed control and maintenance. But, uh, I'm, you know, you're just doing it right, and I certainly commend you for it. I appreciate it. I just wanted to give you, uh, without a question, I just wanted to say that there's other ways to do things because I, uh, my background is occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. So you can sit down on the ground and just uh, use that razor knife, cut it back a little at a time. And then, you know, as, if you're able to get up, you know, don't sit down there if you're not <laughs> able to get up. So that's my tip for the day. So um, we might call it occupational yoga therapy. Yeah, there you go. But I appreciate your time, and I just wanted to tell you, you've got me addicted. Now I will price shop. Thank you, sir. Well, Laurie, I appreciate the call, and um, hey, call any time. We always have something fun to talk about, and as you have questions, you know I'm always here for you. As I always say, thank you for your service, and uh, I appreciate you. we look forward to helping any time we can. Thank you, sir. You're Bye. welcome. You're certainly welcome. Fred Stern. Good morning, Fred. Bob, how are you today? Uh, it's just going to be a gorgeous day. I'm off to a good start. Hope you are, too. It just looks beautiful out here. It's people that are sleeping are sure missing something nice. <laughs> you know, the sunrise is a beautiful thing. I always think about my business partner's mom, who worked with us for a little while, and she put up a little sign that said, uh, if the good Lord had meant for people to see the sunrise, he would have arranged for it to come up a little later in the day. But <laughs> but you're an agricultural man. You and I know that uh, you got to get an early start, or you don't uh, you don't have nearly as good a chance of uh, finishing things. So, how are things in uh, all the different parts of the world that uh, you do work these days? You know, things are good. Um, it's sure greening up. It sure looks like spring's coming early. 
It uh, and with all the moisture out there, yeah, I will see. I, you know, it's the the temperatures jumping back and forth. I'm sure not putting my tomato plants in the ground yet, but uh, uh, when we get to this time of year, the one thing we can say for sure is we're going to have more nice days than bad days. Well, that's that's a good thing. We need that. We need that. I I was calling um, just perfect timing behind Lori there, you know. Um, up in San Antonio, or where the properties are small, using the growing green and using the compost, it's sure doable to control your weeds and oh, yeah. really, really, and really uh, clean yards up. But I, it's so hard when you get down here where the properties are bigger to mm-hmm. convince people to use some kind of organic product to build up the soil rather than using the chemicals to control the grass burrs and the weeds. And um, I've been struggling with trying to figure out a way to do that efficiently. We can get the growing green in big bags, mm-hmm. and we can get the compost in truckloads. But what, in your opinion, is the most efficient way to get sandy soils that have zero organic matter um, to to get them to build back up. I mean, should we be using compost or should we be using the pelleted chicken litter products? What's going to be the most efficient? Well, you know, a couple of things. And number one, the number one builder of organic material in the soil is the things we can't see, the microbial life, the bacteria especially. And, of course, bacteria are sugar hounds. Uh, more sugar we give them, the more active they are, and long term, that is always going to be your best way to build organic material is to stimulate the microbes. Now, and of course, you know things like molasses, and even though it's not truly organic, and uh, Howard Garrett and I don't totally agree on it, but I think some of the molasses fortified with some of the urea are the best low cost options. Um, for building soils. Now, I think the organic fertilizers and you guys at Morales Feed have been offering both the Medina and, you know, other chicken or poultry manure products. And those things are probably build things a little bit faster and they bring a, a more direct nutrition that is in the form of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, especially nitrogen. They bring a little bit more of that than the molasses does. And the 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 microbial stimulation through the sugars and um, you can add, you know, other things, you know, like the Medina Plus and some of those other things. I think adding a little bit of an, an actual fertilizer, and uh, we've got a little feedback there on the line, Fred. If you're on a speakerphone, let's let's go back to the handset. But um, the adding a little bit of fertilizer, like Medina's growing green periodically, is is a good thing to do. But where you're dealing with the with the the kind of acreage that many of your customers and friends are doing, uh, it's not really practical to do it three or four times a year. Compost, if compost on acreage is just an awful big investment, and I think for the yield that you get from it. Um, probably not going to be my highest choice what i would be doing if i wanted to add more organic material i'd be talking to the tree trimmers i'd be talking to some of these people that have 
more what we might call a mulch and just tell them, hey, you know, you're having to pay a tipping fee to take this stuff and get rid of it at the brush dump or at one of the recyclers. But why don't you just come and dump it on my land and, uh, you know, spread it out as best you can. And that will help you know, long-term in building organic material. But, you know, if I was, if, if I were starting out talking to people that wanted to build soils, my first thing would be, and and we're talking acreage. My first thing would be uh, a good molasses at about five gallons per acre. If it's in the budget, I would uh, go with a good organic fertilizer. I know that uh, you like Medina just as I do. There are also some, uh, uh, poultry litter products where they haven't added all the humates and green sand and other things that Medina adds that are still a little bit more economical. And uh, that would be my next step up. Um, If I still had a little extra money, uh, I might consider using it, uh, you know, maybe twice a year instead of just once a year. There are other things that provide lots of micronutrients like azomite. Um, There are things like uh, lava sand, which will help in attracting and holding moisture to the soil, plus it will bind the nutrients and hold them in the soil. But there again, you're talking something that is a little bit more trouble to spread and certainly a little bit higher cost, and and uh, especially with the oil field not producing quite the way it is. I know most people, at least most of my friends in agriculture, are what I call land-rich and cash-poor, and that they don't have a lot of cash to pour into the beautiful land that they're blessed to be able to be the steward of for all those years. So I guess, does that, does that, that's sort of my philosophy. Uh, what have you seen? Because you've been working with people for several years now. Do you find that the people who've tried organics tend to stay organic? Uh, what are, what are your clients and customers telling you is working best for them? The people that have tried organics and are serious about it, continue with it, uh-huh. and they like it, and I see their production grow up a little bit each year, and their fields just look healthier each year, but there's just a number of people that <clears throat> continue to stay using the synthetic fertilizers and then pouring the chemicals to try to control the weeds, Right. and when you go out there and look at their soil, it's just, it's just um, blow sand, and yep. Even after all the rains we've had, those root systems haven't recovered, and the ground's not covered. And um, you know, it just—we desperately need to figure out an economical way to get that microbial activity to close that soil and bind it back together, so it'll hold some moisture. Mm-hmm. It just—and uh, then, of course, you have all those uh, sand burrs and different things come up when there's nothing but sand right. and no no uh, grass, no turf. Yeah. I, I think to me one of the other things that we need to communicate to people is that you can't really just kind of go halfway. I mean, you you work to build the microbial life with uh, a lot of different products, but even one or two applications of these high nitrogen synthetic, synthetic fertilizers undo a lot of the good that you've done they because they don't bring any carbon with them um they you know they they take away what you're trying to build and they kill off the microbial life that uh is trying to build it and so that's the other half of it uh you know you 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 can't you know kind of fall back and start adding more of the 
what we would consider the more toxic materials back in. And, you know, it's tough. It's uh, Mother Nature took several thousands, if not tens of thousands of years to build that soil. And through, quote, modern agriculture with uh, with your high nitrogen uh, synthetic fertilizers, we've burned all the organic material out that, that nature took thousands of years to put in. And by the way, the carbon that was in the soil is what's going into the atmosphere much more than fossil fuels are uh, to contribute to global warming and things like that. So um, if it were an easy answer, you know, we would have found it a long time ago. But my answer is is still number one go organic stay organic most of the weeds that we talk about out there and i realize that the people that are bailing hay you know want it as clean as possible but if you're grazing i know my cows eat sticker burrs grass burrs just as fast as they eat any other grass out there and a good rotational grazing program um, whether it's cattle or whatever else is, is to me is the best weed control out there. But the, the soil building is a tough part and the, and the expensive part. Rotational grazing, it's an investment. And I guess I need to talk to you sometime about what's the newest and latest in electric fencing because, uh, that's certainly the the thing that enables you to divide your property up into smaller paddocks so that you can move things from one area to another without having the expense and the effort of building permanent fencing so um but um it I wish I had an easy answer to it but I personally just don't worry about the weeds and quite frankly this time of year the weedy grasses and things, if it weren't for them, I wouldn't have anything green in my fields at all. And uh, my cattle, you know, they I supplement a lot with dry hay, uh, but uh, <laughs> they sure love seeing those green weeds sprout up. They'd be, they'd be really mad at me if I tried to kill off a lot, everything that a lot of other people consider weeds. But um, it's, uh, I, I, you know, it, it, to me, long term, it all comes back to microbial stimulation. And for somebody that's really serious, uh, somebody like Stuart over at Medina, he puts together microbe packages. Um, we don't talk about them as much on the air because, you know, he's want me more. Well, what we talk to the people we talk to most are smaller homeowners and all, but people that are you know, in ag production, that's how Medina built their business. And Stewart does custom blends, and he has a number of different uh, microbial blends that will help to build the soil. But it doesn't do any good to put the microbes out if they don't have an energy source. And um, as I said when we first started out, to me, molasses is still the cheapest energy that we can put out to simulate the microbes and you know to build the soil but it 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 just takes time it took nature tens of thousands of years and we can't expect it to happen overnight but it's it's a gradual process and as long as we're not overworking the land by running too many cattle or goats or sheep or whatever we're running um the soil will get better every year and even people that 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 sand looks a lot the same i'll bet you if you actually got a chemical analysis of it you're going to find that uh that carbon which is you know the building block of everything you're going to find it inching upwards year after year after year after year but uh, i i wish there was a way to make it happen overnight but i sure haven't figured out what it is well do you think that uh <clears throat> It seems like there's just more and more compost building up in the cities because they're really working hard on their uh, recycling program. Absolutely, yeah. What, what, 
what we need to figure out is how we can get all of that material out of the cities that is uh, stacking up and putting methane in the air and bring it back down here to the farmland and <laughs> rebuild these soils and uh, where we can grow more food and send it back into the city. I, you know, you're you're a visionary, and uh, it's it's very interesting. You should bring it up because I've made a new friend over the past no few months. Uh, David McCrary is head of uh, Solid Waste for San Antonio, and we've been uh, very active in this new recycling initiative that the city has started. And David and I were talking just last week about this. Uh, and I just don't want to call it waste. To me, grass clippings and trimmings and things, that's not yard waste. That's uh, just sort of byproducts from having a yard. And um, and, and you're exactly right. And uh, there are uh, a lot of folks out there that are looking at exactly the same thing of how to get this material. Uh, number one, how to keep it out of the landfill. Number two, how to allow it to be processed naturally and then get it back to the farmlands where we really need it. The uh, the the new recycling where they're using a lot of the food waste from the big processors in the right. city, and then of course the grass clippings and all of the landscape clippings. When you combine those and compost them, there is just a massive array of fungi and venom and uh, bacteria. You're right. That uh, it, to me would be probably the most productive to do what I want to do out here. Mm-hmm. And then um, because it's it's um, so finely ground. It covers the ground with more surface area right. than some of your processed uh, poultry litter. So I don't know. To me, it seems like um, that would give you more moisture retention capacity, more temperature control, and then feed, put food and microbes out at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right about that. And um you know, it's just it's just the process of how do we get people doing it, and uh, you and I, again, are in the same boat in that we have to work for a living. We can't put full time into saving the earth as we would like to do so, and it's just, it's just talking to people, talking to people, and um, hopefully we get more and more people interested in doing that. Hopefully we get more and more people at the municipal level in city government and county government uh, i mean where i am up in kendall county we've got we've got the greatest brush uh collection and recycling process i've ever seen and that material's basically free and uh they've been doing it for a long time and the smart people take advantage of it comal county uh has a very good program in place there most of your operations are down south, and I have to say I don't know as much about them. But um, it's it's getting the it's getting the raw material back, you know, to the ground because that's what Mother Nature's done for you know so many years. Uh, it and for people who are able to. Uh, do rotational period who are able uh, to allow a period of time where portions of their land remain ungrazed. Uh, I think there's a lot to be said for reintroducing some of the native grasses back in there, these things, and, and nothing you know, holds the soil in place. I was digging weeds out of a flower bed on one of my days off, and I was looking at the amazing root structure of a lot of these little things that we call weeds that are actually native grasses, in this case probably Texas winter grass. And um, the, the problem is when you've got hungry cows, you can't put them on a freshly seeded 
uh, fielder, they'll just eat it down to the point before the grasses can form any root system at all. So uh, I think that's going to be part of the long-term plan for people with a vision who can pull a few acres out of production, allow a grass to get started and grow. And, of course, water is is a big part of it. And this year, this El Nino year, when we have the potential for getting a little above average rainfall, it would be a great time for people to do a little bit more planting. would have been a great time for, you know, some of the legumes and things like that over the winter months and now some of the native grasses. Uh, and, and that's that's going to that's the fastest way out there to build up and restore the soil but it means that if you're a hay raiser you can't be in there cutting it every six to eight weeks and if you're running cattle or sheep or whatever you actually have to keep them off the land uh, for an extended period of time to at least let things get started but um, those are those are just some of the challenges we face in trying to teach people and get them to try it and at the same time i've got to respect the people out there who don't have large incomes because <laughs> as as an old friend of mine uh you know down south of you once told me i was he was describing me some very expensive trips he'd taken and i said oh gosh cattle business must be a little better for you than it was for me and he said well i do have a little mineral income so uh but those folks who don't have the mineral income it takes time and it's it's hard to say okay i'm going to set aside 10 acres 100 acres 500 acres of land and let it rebuild when i'm trying to make enough money running my cattle or raising my hay to feed my family and put my kids through school. So it, it's a big challenge, and I certainly appreciate all that you have done with Morales Feed and things to make more organics available to more people and uh, just just getting people to to work at it. And like you say, the people who try it, who see that it works, tend to stay with it. But, boy, sometimes it's hard to make that uh uh, that jump from the old paradigm of the, doing it the way we've always done it. Yes, yes. Well, keep working, Bob. Your people are beginning to understand. If you could take what Lori and you talked about and figure out how to do acres that way, yeah, we could make a lot of great things happen. Well, and it's uh, you know we we work at it every day. We study every day. We get. Very little help from the colleges and the people that are teaching the next generation of farmers and ranchers, which to me is so sad. But, boy, I tell you, if if people would simply spend the money to describe uh, to uh, subscribe to uh, the Acres publication, and uh, there's some other really, really good learning tools. My uh, friend that runs a lot of cows up in Wyoming, he introduced me to a magazine called Range, R-A-N-G-E. And I believe it's quarterly, but it's one of those things that you read cover to cover. And it's some of it is really useful in building things up, but it's also a great look at uh, at ranching as a way of life and all the good things there are about it. But uh, I, I have to say, and, and Acres has gone to uh, doing a lot of online things as well as their wonderful magazine and all the incredible books they offer. And boy, anybody that's just getting started, I would sure encourage them to subscribe to Acres USA. Well, I think that's a good idea. Well, Fred, it is always a pleasure to visit with you. I hope all your family is doing well. 
Yes, sir. Everything's great. Everything's great. Listen, Bob, thanks a whole lot for your time. I know you have a lot of people to get to, but I appreciate your efforts and your time. <laughs> well, I'm glad yeah. you got up early because uh, uh, everybody's so busy. Uh, they're they're doing other things. I don't have a lot of people waiting like, right now, but uh, just keep me posted with what all you are doing because uh, I think you are, you are a visionary when it comes to the uh, – you know, to the agricultural support business. Uh, and I don't mind, you know, talking about Morales feed. Y'all just do a, a lot of phenomenal things. And, uh, I, I was talking to somebody about your program of actually delivering fertilizer to people in a spreader, make it easy for them to put out and then just bring the empty spreader back to you. It's, uh, uh, you've done so many things groundbreaking and, uh, you just keep up the good work and we'll keep talking. Hey, I want to say something really quick. It's, it's really cool. You know those folks that have the brush mulching mm-hmm. equipment? Yeah, the cedar eater? So, uh, yeah, so a rancher down south called me last week, and he said, I want you to come fertilize and seed this. And I had seen those machines work. But uh-huh. He said, I want you to drive over all of that material that they ground up, and I want you to put out native grass seeds and organic fertilizer. Uh-huh. And I said, wow, I don't think I can do that. And he says, no, come look at this. <laughs> and, you know, I've always worked behind root plows uh-huh. and rakes, and the ground is so soft you can't, you know, there's no structure oh, yeah. left. They just ripped everything up. Right. But this guy, they ground everything to the ground. Mm-hmm. And then we were able to drive a floater truck with those soft floater tires uh-huh. over that material. And it's just ground up brush, and then the uh, machine has knobby tires and it leaves all these perforated you know all these uh uh, little divots all Mm -hmm. over the ground so we just after that machine mulched everything we just drove over it with we mixed organic fertilizer and four native grass seeds mixed it all up and spread it and that's going to be something beautiful to see because we just it, we just went right over the soil, yeah. right over the ground, and all that carbon is just ground up on top, and the ground is pretty level from the machine. Not only does it mulch the brush, <laughs> but it kind of levels the ground off. Yeah, it's the coolest thing. We're gonna, we're gonna. That's gonna be fun to watch. It is gonna be fun, fun to, watch. to watch. The one disadvantage uh, in your area is that so much of that brushy material will sprout back out. When cedar eater does work in the hill country. Uh, the ash juniper, in fact, even the junipers virginiana, the eastern red cedar, when you cut it off, it dies. It doesn't come back. But uh, um, even people that are just clearing their senderas and things like that, it is an incredible process. And, uh, I, you know, it would be interesting if uh, if the folks that did this have more land to do. It would be interesting to see if it's if there is a way to do it to put the fertilizer down first and then put all that material on top of it. But, uh, we can't get you, over it. We yeah. can't get over it because it's thick brush. They yeah. went in and just mulched up this yeah. thick brush and left the bull mesquites. Uh-huh. And so we had to, they have to get that machine and there's no yeah. way to get over it. Yeah, that's but true. You come in behind it. So we're, we're going to see, but, uh, um, that could be a wonderful way to take <laughs> ground and get it productive again. Well, and to hold the moisture in it with that good mulch oh on the gosh. surface. Yeah. Yes. Fred, yeah. you're doing good things. Take pictures and um, share with everybody you know. We'll try to do the same, and it's always a pleasure visiting with you. 
Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Goodbye. That's Fred Morales' friend, and uh, just, I'm always glad to hear from him. He's just a very busy man, but uh, uh, and he is owner of the Morales Feed Stores, uh, several locations, South Texas and on up to Utopia. But uh, interesting, interesting, and uh, just knows an awful lot and providing a lot of material to help people rebuild their soil.